Well, today is the first Sunday of Advent, and it's our tradition to light an Advent candle to symbolize the coming of Christ, the light of the world. And as each week goes by, another candle is lit, the light increases, depicting the second, the anticipation for the second coming of Christ. So each week, uh, we're leading up to Christmas, we're going to focus on a different aspect of uh, Christ's coming. And this week it is that of hope. And Wellesley's going to light the candle for us uh, this week. We light this candle in hope, the hope of our coming Saviour, Jesus. Prepare then the way of the Lord. Romans 15 quotes from Isaiah, The root of Jesse will spring up, one who will arise to rule over the nations. In him the Gentiles will have hope. May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace as you trust in him, so that you may overflow with hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. Let's pray. Father God, we do thank you for sending Jesus into this world to establish his kingdom, to bring the gospel, the message of hope, to a lost and broken world. And we pray this morning you would fill us with hope, you would prepare us for his second coming as we hold firm to the truth in your word and lead lives that are full of love for you and for one another. In Jesus' name. Heavenly Father, we do praise you that you are a God of truth, that you cannot lie, that you always keep your promises. We thank you that you kept your promise to send the Messiah to rescue this world from sin and death. We thank you that Jesus came down from heaven as the way, the truth, and the life in order for us to be reconciled to you. Father, we live in a world where truth is no longer held in high regard and people twist it to see their purposes. So we do pray for all of those in positions of responsibility, including our government, that you would grant them wisdom in the decisions they make. And we pray that in the explanations they give, that they would put the truth before their own purposes. Cover them not to rely on their own limited strength, but to call on your infinite strength. And we pray the same prayer for all of us as we seek to live lives that honour you. We are sorry where we've distorted the truth to protect ourselves, to impress others, or to get what we want. Forgive us, we pray. We continue to pray about the impact of the pandemic, that you would provide help for all those who are struggling at this time. Pray for those in the medical profession and the strain they are under and the anxieties they face as we go into the busy winter period. We pray that you will bring the spread of the virus to an end and for those who have already caught it, you would make well. We pray for all those trying to make plans for Christmas in these unsettled times. And we do pray for those who may spend Christmas on their own, that they would still know your love for them and find hope in the knowledge that Jesus has come and will come again. We pray for our plans as a church, that even though we're not able to do what we normally would do at Christmas, that you would still be at work drawing people to yourself through this ministry. Lord, grant each one of us courage. Increase our faith as we seek to point people to you through our words and through our actions. 
And may we see changed lives as a result. Father, as part of our worship, we bring you our financial offerings to be used to grow your kingdom in this place and overseas. Recognizing that all we have comes from you. And we bring you our hearts seeking to be changed more into the likeness of Jesus. We pray that you would do that now through the preaching of your word. So we pray you would bless Wellesley as he opens that up to us. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, before Wellesley comes to preach to us, Val is going to bring the reading from 3 John. The Elder, to my dear friend Gaius, whom I love in the truth. Dear friend, I pray that you may enjoy good health and that all may go well with you, just as you are progressing spiritually. It gave me great joy when some believers came and testified about your faithfulness to the truth, telling how you continue to walk in it. I have no greater joy than to hear that my children are walking in the truth. Dear friend, you are faithful in what you are doing for the brothers and sisters, even though they are strangers to you. They have told the church about your love. Please send them on their way in a manner that honours God. It was for the sake of the name that they went out, receiving no help from the pagans. We ought, therefore, to show hospitality to such people, so that we may work together for the truth. I wrote to the church, but Diotrephes, who loves to be first, will not welcome us. So when I come, I will call attention to what he is doing, spreading malicious nonsense about us. Not satisfied with that, he even refuses to welcome other believers. He also wants to... He also stops those who want to do so and puts them out of the church. Dear friend, do not imitate what is evil, but what is good. Anyone who does what is good is from God. Anyone who does what is evil has not seen God. Demetrius is well spoken of by everyone and even by the truth itself. We also speak well of him, and you know that our testimony is true. I have much to write to you, but I do not want to do so with pen and ink. I hope to see you soon, and we will talk face to face. Peace to you. The friends here send their greetings. Greet the friends there by name. Well, good morning, everyone. It's uh, great to be with you again. It'd be lovely if you uh, keep through, John, open in front of you, and I'm going to pray for God's help to understand it. Let's pray together. Father, we do thank you over these last few weeks for the opportunity you've given us to consider these sometimes forgotten little letters. Father, as we continue to think this morning about what it looks like to walk in truth and in love, we pray that we wouldn't just know the truth and understand the truth, but as individuals and as a church that we would walk in it. For your glory we pray. Amen. As we begin this morning, I wonder if anyone can work out what these two pictures have in common. First picture is that of a hospital, and the second picture is that of a hostel. Let me give you a moment, that's all you've got. You might need more than that. Uh, But let me give you a moment to see if you can find the link between 
those two words, hospital and hostile. Well, the answer to that question is found in the origin of those two words, because both words, hospital and hostile, are actually derived from the same Latin word, hospes, which means guest or stranger. You see, the purpose of a hospital and the purpose of a hostel are essentially the same. They open up their doors without discrimination to those who are ill, those who are needy, and those who are weary, with the aim of putting them back on their feet, ready and refreshed for their onward journey. Now, with that backdrop in mind, it should come as no surprise that the word hospitality that you see down there in verse 8 of 3 John comes from the same Latin word. You see, Christian hospitality is about opening up your door, opening up your life, opening up your home, not just to those people that you know well and are comfortable with, but to every brother and sister in Christ who needs your help. And of course, the aim of opening up our lives like that is to encourage fellow believers in their spiritual journey, in their walk of faith, to, to refresh them physically and to refresh them spiritually for their onward journey with Jesus. You see, in many ways, 3 John is simply an extension of what we saw last week in 2 John. John writes to, to this church, and his main concern is to encourage the church and the individuals of it to continue making spiritual progress. And as we'll see this morning, practicing hospitality, opening up our lives and our homes and using our resources is absolutely key in seeing spiritual progress in the lives of others. And so the question I want us to have in mind this morning as we work through this letter together is this. What should Christian hospitality look like for us? Or to put it another way, how does God want us to use our homes and our resources in order to be a blessing to others? Well, in this letter, John mentions three individuals by name. Firstly, Gaius, who is the recipient of this letter. He is a good and faithful friend of John in the gospel. Secondly, Diotrephes, who, to put it mildly, is an unhelpful and negative influence on the church. And then thirdly, Demetrius, who, in contrast to Diotrephes, is commended by the Apostle John for his behavior. And as we'll see this morning, there's much to learn from these three characters. Firstly then, we come to the encouragement of Gaius. And there's three ways in particular that John is encouraged by this church member. Firstly, he's a great friend. Have a look at verse 1 and 2. The elder, that's John, to my dear friend Gaius, whom I love in the truth. Dear friend, I pray that you may enjoy good health and that all may go well with you just as you are progressing spiritually. You see, twice in just two verses, indeed four times in the letter, John refers to Gaius as his dear friend or beloved, as you might find it in other translations. This is a friendship of real depth. This is a friendship that is grounded in the gospel, in the truth. 
And it's that shared concern for eternal things that we see in verse 2 that prompts John to pray, not just for Gaius' physical well-being, but also for his spiritual progress. You see, if we're going to flourish as Christian men and women and boys and girls, if we're going to flourish for Jesus, then we need friendships like this one. Friendships that are grounded in the gospel and saturated in prayer. I wonder whether we have friendships like that. Secondly, John is encouraged by the fact that Gaius is walking in the truth. Have a look at verse 3. It gave me great joy, says John, when some believers came and testified about your faithfulness to the truth, telling how you continue to walk in it. He says lots of news that will bring joy to a pastor's heart, but none more so than that. To know that the people of God are walking in truth and in love. We see exactly the same thing in 1 Thessalonians chapter 3. Do flick back there if you would. Paul's letter to the church in Thessalonica chapter 3. As Paul awaits for, for news to come back, how is this new fledgling church doing? Are they walking in truth and love? Are they still pressing on in the faith? And this is what we read in verse 6 of 1 Thessalonians chapter 3. But Timothy has just now come to us from you and has brought good news about your faith and love. It's the only time in the whole of the New Testament that that phrase, good news, is used for anything other than the gospel. Why? Because for Paul, hearing that news that that little church was still pressing on in faith, walking in truth and love, was like hearing the good news of the gospel all over again. And look how Paul responds in verse 8. For now we really live since you are standing firm in the Lord. You can imagine Paul on his knees, for now we really live. Nothing else matters in comparison to know that God's people are pressing on in faith, standing firm and continuing to walk in truth and in love. Or as the Apostle John says back in verse 4 of 3 John, I have no greater joy than to hear that my children are walking in the truth. Gaius was walking in the truth and it was a great encouragement to John. Firstly then, Gaius was a great friend to John. Secondly, he was walking in the truth. And thirdly, Gaius was practicing hospitality. Have a look at verse 5 through to verse 8. Dear friend, you are faithful in what you are doing for the brothers and sisters, even though they are strangers to you. They have told the church about your love. Please send them on their way in a manner that honors God. It was for the sake of the name that they went out, receiving no help from the pagans. We ought, therefore, to show hospitality to such people so that we may work together for the truth. As we'll see shortly, Diotrephes shut the door on these travelling missionaries. He wanted nothing to do with them because of their connection 
with John. Gaius, on the other hand, opens up his door and his home to these weary travellers. Why? Not because they're his best friends. He doesn't even know them, verse 5. They were strangers when they arrived, strangers to him. No, he opened up his home to these people because they were brothers and sisters in Christ. They were committed to the same cause. And they needed the support of their extended church family. I guess the question for us is, what does that look like today? What does it look like to practice hospitality like Gaius? Well, in one simple sentence, this is what it means. It means using all the resources God has given us to support others in order to advance the cause of Christ. And that might mean opening up your home for a short period to a missionary back on furlough. It might mean opening up your home for a whole year to a ministry trainee that the church might pour time and energy into them before they head off to new pastures to serve the Lord elsewhere. It might mean giving financially to the work of mission in this church and beyond. It might mean writing cards of encouragement to those who are struggling, those who are weary in their faith, those who are finding it difficult following Jesus. It might mean committing to pray for a particular missionary or a particular ministry. It might look like a whole host of different things. But here's the point. We all need to play our part as we work together to make the truth of the gospel known. You see, we're not all called to go but we are all called to give. We're not all called to preach, but we are all called to provide. And that's the challenge before us in verse 8. Look at what the apostle says. We ought, therefore, it's an obligation upon the shoulders of the Christian believer. We ought, therefore, to show hospitality to such people so that we may work together for the truth. Do you see the results of genuine hospitality? Greater gospel impact. More people hearing the truth and more people walking in the truth. And that's why we need more Gaiuses in the church today. Firstly, we have the encouragement of Gaius. Secondly, we have the divisiveness of Diotrephes. You see, it's a sad reality, but in some churches we don't just meet people like Gaius, who encourage, we also meet people like Trophies, who divide. Have a look at verse 9 and 10. I wrote to the church, but Diotrephes, who loves to be first, will not welcome us. So when I come, I will call to attention what he is doing, spreading malicious nonsense about us. Not satisfied with that, he even refuses to welcome other believers. He also stops those who want to do so and puts them out of the church. John, as you can see, has already written to this church, but Diotrephes doesn't want to know. He has no time for the apostle or his message. Why? Well, we're told why, look, in verse 9. I wrote to the church, but Diotrephes, and here's the key, who loves to be first, will not welcome us. Here's a man who loved to be first. 
You see, pride is the heart of the issue here. Here's a man who loved to put himself on the pedestal. Here's a man who refused to listen to the counsel of the Apostle Paul in Romans chapter 12. Let me read to you from verse 3. Listen to this if you would. For by the grace given me, I say to every one of you, this is a message for the whole church, I say to every one of you, do not think of yourself more highly than you ought, but rather think of yourself with sober judgment. Seems that for whatever reason those words had been crossed out of Diotrephes' Bible. He loved to be first. He loved to be in control. And as a result, the church paid the price. We're not told whether Diotrephes was part of the formal leadership or not in this church. And in many ways, it doesn't matter whatever his role was. Such was his persuasion. Such was the the force of his personality that he was bad news for this church. Don't know how many people watching online at home today like their maths, enjoy their maths. But if you do, I wonder whether you can make sense of this equation here on the screen. Bad attitudes plus big egos, that's diotrophies, if left unchecked, will result in great damage to God's church. I was chatting to a good friend who's a a pastor down on the south coast just in this last couple of weeks, and he was telling me about how one individual in the church has caused untold damage over these last six months. Hard to believe if you didn't hear the story from the lips of someone that you trust. Without doubt, a modern diotrophies. Bad attitudes plus big egos, if left unchecked, will result in great damage to God's church. On this last week, we've been... uh, Sifting through boxes as we've been packing stuff ready for Cornwall, we've been sorting through some old things. And one box we came across uh, was a box of my old school stuff, going back to primary school, loads of pictures and work uh, and end of year reports. Uh, And as you'll know, if you find a lot of pen or red pen in your end of year report, it's normally not good news. Well, if Diotrephes had given been given an end of year report there would be at least three red marks next to his name and they're given to us look in verse 10 the first red mark against the name of Diotrephes is that he's been spreading malicious gossip we're not told exactly what he said but from the language John uses we know at least two things number one it was nonsense I just wasn't true. He was talking rubbish. And number two, it was malicious. His intent was evil. Now, of course, we may not have as many red marks next to our name in our end of year report as Diotrephes did. But the question remains for us as we think about the use of our words, how careful are we? in the way that we use our words, whether that's written or spoken? Do we use our words to encourage and to build up other believers? Or is there a danger that our words discourage and knock down our fellow believers? You see, the first red mark is that of malicious 
gossip. Secondly, second red mark, he refuses to welcome other believers. He is unhospitable. Of course, we're meant to see, I think, a contrast here with Gaius, whose door was always open. You see, if you could have taken a a photograph of these two individuals, I think the photo of Gaius would have been something like this, with his arms stretched out wide, ready to to welcome, to embrace a a warmth, a hospitality. Whereas Diotrephes' photo would have been more like this, arms folded, ready to reject and cast out and repel. And again, we need to ask ourselves the question, if someone took a photo of us, this morning to display our hospitality would we be more like Gaius with our arms open or more like Diotrephes with our arms folded or somewhere in between and then lastly the third red mark comes at the end of verse 10 we read this he also stops those who want to do so and puts them out of the church. Not only does Diotrephes not welcome these traveling missionaries, these other believers, but he casts out those who want to do so. He pushes out of the church people like Gaius. You see, this isn't just an individual who goes home after a members meeting and grumbles to his wife, however damaging that may be. This guy is active in pushing away people who do not fall in line with his way of thinking. John Stott's summary is simple and straight to the point. Diotrephes slandered John, cold-shouldered the missionaries, and excommunicated loyal believers. Three red marks. Why? Because he loved himself. He loved himself more than his saviour. Well, before we move on to Demetrius, just one final line of application as we think about Diotrephes, which is this. If you see anything happening in the life of this church that is not healthy, if you see anything that resembles or begins to whiff of the attitude or the behavior of Diotrephes, then please don't leave it to someone else to deal with, because there's every chance that they'll leave it to someone else as well. Bad attitudes plus big egos, if left unchecked, if not addressed in love and truth and grace, will result in big damage to God's church. Firstly then, we have the encouragement of Gaius. Secondly, the divisiveness of Diotrephes. And lastly, the commendation of Demetrius. Have a look at verse 11 and 12. Dear friend, do not imitate what is evil, but what is good. Anyone who does what is good is from God. Anyone who does what is evil has not seen God. Demetrius is well spoken of by everyone, even by the truth itself. We also speak well of him, and you know that our testimony is true. You see the link there in verse 11 between seeing God and doing good. Those who know God, those who see God do good. Those who don't know God 
those who don't see God do evil. You see, the key to commendation, the key to walking in truth and in love is to know Christ and to know him more deeply. And the more we know Christ, the more we know of his His kindness, his compassion, his love, his grace, his care, his hospitality, the more we understand of the richness of the cross and all that Christ went through there for us the more we understand that his mighty resurrection to new life, the more we understand of Jesus, the more we will walk in ways that are pleasing to him. And that's exactly what we see in the life of Demetrius. Diotrephes got three red marks for his bad attitude and behavior. Demetrius gets three gold stars and a big well done from Jesus. And you can see the first of those gold stars at the beginning of verse 12. Demetrius is well spoken of by everyone. Here's the sort of guy that people love to be around. Kind, honest, faithful, hospitable, warm, loving, true, generous. And he's well spoken of by everyone, not because he's a yes man and he fitted in with culture, but because he walked in truth and in love. He followed in the footsteps of Jesus. Secondly, not only did people speak well of him, but the truth spoke well of him. With Demetrius, what you see is what you get. There's nothing hidden. It's not that he just put on his Christian clothes on a Sunday and then left them at home for the rest of the week. No, he walked in truth and in love seven days a week. And so should we. And then his third gold star comes at the end of verse 12. And it's a star that's given to him by the Apostle John himself. We also speak well of him, says John. And you know that our testimony is true. It's the same way that he finishes his gospel after giving a, a perfect account of the life and death and resurrection of Jesus. This is what we read in John 21 verse 24. This is the disciple who testifies to these things and who wrote them down. We know that his testimony is true. John spoke well of him. The truth spoke well of him. Everyone spoke well of Demetrius. Does that mean he was without sin? Of course not. He was a sinner just like us, prone to wander just as we are. But by the grace of God, he walked in truth and in love. And as a result, he is forever held up before us in God's word as an example to follow. You see, 3 John may be a personal letter from John to Gaius, but it was never, ever intended to be a private letter. What we have before us is a message for the whole church, and it's a message that we need to hear and a message that we need to heed today. So let me leave you with three questions as we finish this morning. Question number one. By the grace of God, will you encourage other believers like Gaius did? Through friendship, 
through godliness and through hospitality. Number two, by the grace of God, will you put to death in your own heart ungodly attitudes like those that we see in Diotrephes? Number three, by the grace of God, will you follow in the footsteps of Demetrius as you keep looking to Jesus and as you keep walking in his ways? Well, seeing as this is my uh, last preach at Long Crendon, I wanted to finish with uh, some words from God's word that have been incredibly precious to me over the years. These are words that I actually shared at my baptism 20 years ago after coming to faith in Jesus. Words from Philippians chapter 1 verse 21. This is what the Apostle Paul says. For to me, to live is Christ and to die is gain. And that's my prayer for you. It's my prayer for this church family that you would live for Christ, that you would walk forever in truth and love, all in for Christ, nothing at all held back in his service. To live is Christ and to do so with the cast iron assurance that to die is gain. Because on that day, For the believer, when life does come to an end, we will stand before our Saviour in heaven. We will see him face to face. And in the twinkling of an eye, we will be changed. And we'll be like him. And there we will worship our God, enjoy communion with him and his people in his new creation for all of eternity. And until that day arrives... John encourages us to walk in truth and in love. And if Irene was here this morning, then I think she'd finish with a big hallelujah. Let's pray together. Father in heaven, it is our very simple prayer this morning for each of us. As we listen, as we think, as we join together, albeit in our own homes that we would continue to walk in truth and in love, that we would follow Jesus as our Lord and Saviour all of our days, that we would always keep the cross before us, that we would remember the riches of what he has done for us, we'd remember who we are in Christ. And each day, Lord, may we wake up with joy in our heart. And by the grace of God, seek to walk that day in truth and in love. And we pray all these things for your glory. Amen. Well, we've met um, two different characters this morning in God's Word, haven't we? And a character of great encouragement and a character of great um, division. Let's pray we would be those like Gaius who would be great encouragers rather than diotrephes, who are great dividers. But let's pray now as we as we close. Father God, we read of these different characters, um, and I'm sure we see something of both of them in all of us. Um, Lord, where there is something of diotrephes in us, where we do put ourselves first, Lord, we pray you'd reveal that to us, and we pray that you'd put that attitude 
to death, that we will be those who humble ourselves like the Lord Jesus Christ and consider the interests of others before our own. Lord, help us to be like Gaius, help us to be those who are hospitable, who are friendly, who are godly in all, all of our living. And we pray, Lord, that we, you, you would do that work in us. You would uh, grow us and encourage us, that we would be an encouragement to others. And so we finish the words from Romans 15. May the God who gives endurance and encouragement give you the same attitude of mind towards each, each other that Christ Jesus had. So that with one mind and one voice, you may glorify the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Amen.